Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It is unusual times in which we live, and we had the conversation this week about how um, it increases not just the, uh, the messages that we are hearing, but how the world is increasingly critical toward the message of the church and how they are, uh, you know, they, there are churches and pastors who the pastor's sermon will be picked apart for any little phrase that can be taken. Um, they go through all the recordings and and, uh, and I'm not talking about the deacons and the church members doing this. I'm talking about uh, secular society, and they seek to find anything that might be politically incorrect, and they go through everyone's social media to try to find things. And so uh, we believe that it's very possible that in the days to come, that, that's very likely going to increase. And uh, so just as a, uh, it's probably a good time to just remind everyone that this is the pattern that Central has followed for um, eons of time. Um, since, the, since the conception of the church, that the spokesman to any media organizations or outlets is uh, the lead pastor. Pastor Tom, at this time, or in his absence, I my role to step into that. And I'm um, in a course in a few months or a little ways down the road when the mantle gets passed. That's part of the mantle, I guess. It's not just the spiritual power and the double portion that I'll get. It's um, also that role that we, we speak on behalf of the church and so don't feel any obligation to do that. Um, don't feel any obligation to, to and, and if you hear someone else speak, then it's, it's, they're not speaking on behalf of the church. And so we just remind everyone of that. That's the protocol that we follow. And um, that's, we will do our best by God's grace to, uh, first of all, represent God well and speak for his glory, but then also speak on behalf of the church in a way that's, that's, uh, that's discerning and wise. And um, we also know that even when you speak the truth, sometimes people can take the truth you speak and turn it to ill will. Um, but we can't control that. What we can control is what we say. And so pray for us as we seek to do that. Will you do that? Amen? All right. Thank you for the three that will be praying. Pastor, we got three folks praying for us. Galatians chapter 5. I want you to look at one verse this morning. We're going to sort of work our way through part of this passage, but I want to preach to you this morning on standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. That's the beginning of our text verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Paul gives this admonition and he gives this warning because he understands that liberty is a delicate balance. It's true in our physical world, in the political world, but it's especially true in the spiritual world. During the Continental Congress that was establishing our, our Constitution in the early days of our country, uh, Benjamin Franklin visited a, a home in Philadelphia, um, and as he entered, the lady of the house, who was a friend of Franklin's and, and sort of on, on good speaking terms, she asked him with sort of a smile on her face, Mr. Franklin, what kind of government have you given us? Have you given us a republic or a monarchy? And the concern then was, well, you know, have we gotten true freedom or have we just traded one king for another? And Franklin very famously said, some of you have probably heard this part of the statement, both sides of the political aisle like to throw it at each other as if they're the ones who are the great defenders of the republic. Uh, they, he said, Madam, a republic, if you can keep it, 
He understood the danger of guarding freedom and liberty and how delicate a thing that is. But you don't often hear the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to tell us. And she said, why, why keep it? Why do we have to keep it? And Franklin said, because once the people have eaten from the plate, they are inclined to eat more than is good for them. I'm not sure if he was talking about the American people or a Baptist church dinner, but we know that to be true, don't we? Once you taste something you like, he understood that liberty can go to extremes. Freedom and liberty are synonymous. We know that. Freedom is the ability to do whatever we please. We are free to do certain things. Liberty is a little more specific. Liberty is the wise or prudent use of freedom under the constraints of a law. I have the freedom to, uh, to swing my fist anywhere. I, if I want to walk down the street, just swinging my fist, Brother Dean, I can do that. But my freedom ends at the end of your chin because under the constraint of the law, I have to use my freedom wisely. See, that's part of our problem in our world today. We have lots of freedoms, and we, we don't always use them wisely. Paul understood that, and that's exactly what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. Why do we have to stand fast? Well, Paul's going to point out to us, first of all, two dangers to our liberty. I want you to see these. We're not going to delve too deeply into the different passages, but there's two extremes. We should seek, you know, Warren Wearsby said it so well. It's probably my favorite quote, and I've been accused of overusing it. But blessed are the balanced. We tend in the Christian life to go to one extreme or the other. And so Paul warns against these. Three times in the book of Galatians, Paul is going to speak about liberty. I want to point these out to you. I want you to look, first of all, in chapter 2 and verse 4. The first danger that Paul is going to warn about is the danger of a graceless law, the extreme of legalism. Now, let me define while you're turning to chapter 2 what I'm talking about with legalism. Legalism is not preaching against sin. Sometimes preachers are accused of that. We preach against sin, and they say, oh, you're just being a legalist. You can't read the Scriptures. A lady said one time, I wish you preachers would quit talking about sins and naming sins and just preach the Bible. Well, good luck with that. You can't read the Scriptures. You can't read the passage we're going to read in just a moment without Paul and without God naming specific sins. So that's not legalism. Some will say legalism is saying that you have to keep the law to be saved, and that was certainly part of the legalism of, of the people we're getting ready to see. But the law never said you could get saved. God never said you could get saved by keeping the law. In the Old Testament, they weren't saved by keeping the law. They were saved by faith in the Christ that was to come, and that faith manifested itself by their obedience to God's law. There's the, the danger of legalism is the reason for which we do what is right. Notice what he says in chapter 2, verse 4. False brethren unawares were brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty. Look at the words he uses, unawares. They come in, they're sneaking in. They are there to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Why? What's their purpose? What's their motivation? That they might bring us into bondage. That's what he's warned about. Remember back in chapter 5, what did he say? He said that you be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You have been freed from the yoke of bondage. What is that yoke? It's the yoke that 
the law lends itself to. And that is external motivation for when we do what is right. Several motivations come to mind. Let's say, for example, that I'm living under the Old Testament law and I wake up on the Sabbath day and I'm cold. I have found that the, as I get older, I get colder. My family harasses me about that all the time. They mock me and laugh and I think, you know what, one of these days you're going to be frozen and I'm going to laugh at you and I'm not even going to give you a blanket. No, I'm joking. I'm much nicer than that. I'll cover them with a blanket and then smother them with it or something. But they, they mock me because I get cold. And so I'm cold on the Sabbath day morning, and I need a fire. So what do I do? I'm going to gather some sticks. But I know that the law of God says what? You can't pick up sticks on the Sabbath. You can't do labor. You should have been out Friday evening gathering those sticks. But my desire is, I, you know, I'm more concerned about my physical condition, my physical situation, than I am obeying God's law. But as I think about going out to find me some sticks, I know that Pastor Jeremy's watching me. And if I go out to pick up the sticks, he's going to report me. And what are they going to do? They're going to stone me. And he'd be the first one picking up. No, he, he wouldn't do that. I don't think he would. They're going to stone me, so why do I not? Oh, my heart still wants that warmth. I still, it's not because I'm concerned about breaking God's law. It's about I'm concerned about the health of my mother's youngest favorite son. Well, I threw that favorite in there, but the youngest son. And so I don't go out and do it. Is my heart changed? Have I had some desire to obey the, the law and the commands of God? No, I'm just concerned about myself. It's an outward pressure of punishment. If I don't do this, or if I do this, punishment is going to come. So to avoid that punishment, I'm going to obey God's law. There are a lot of Christians today who do the same thing. We do the right thing, or we don't do the wrong thing, not because we love God, or not because there's a sense of spirit of holiness in our heart, not moved by the Holy Spirit. We do it or don't do it because we're afraid something bad is going to happen to us. There's going to be some kind of punishment. God, God might strike us down. Or one of my favorites is about giving to the Lord. And people will say, well, you know, if, if you don't put your tithes in the offering plates, God's going to get them at the mechanics. Because I don't give my money to the Lord and give my tithe to the Lord because I love God and want to honor Him. I do it because I'm afraid if I don't, God's going to do something bad to me. Is my heart changed at all? No, my outside has just conformed. That's why Paul talks about an inward transformation as opposed to an outward conformation. The second idea might be, well, I want people to think well of me. I want praise. And I really don't want to do this, but I want to be commended. I'm going to make sure that Pastor James sees me standing over here shivering because I didn't light a fire on the Sabbath. And I'm cold, but I'm going to obey the law. And because I obey the law, everybody else better keep it. Doesn't that sound familiar? The Pharisees, they didn't do it, Jesus said, to honor God. They did it for the praise of men. And people that do that will make sure that you see how much they're suffering for Jesus. I remember being in a revival service many years ago and uh, the pastor and my dad who was preaching the revival challenged the folks on the last night of the revival to spend that time in fasting. 
to prepare for God's blessing. God was working in an amazing way. And, you know, the Bible says when you fast, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. We were standing on the front porch, as most, a lot of, you know, country Baptist churches do with all the men standing out front and the young boys standing around learning how to be old men. And, and we're standing out there on the front porch. And this lady walked in, and one of the leaders of the church said to her, How you doing, Sister Brown? She said, Well... I sure hope God blesses tonight. I'd hate to think I missed all those meals for nothing. What was she doing? She was making sure that everybody knew what she had done. Did she do that out of a right motivation? No, she was doing that out of a sense of, if I keep the rules, I want people to know about it. Those are outward pressures that cause us to conform to righteousness not the inward work of the Holy Spirit that transforms us in righteousness. And Paul says you've got to avoid that. That's a danger. Don't get over onto this side. Don't get over into that graceless law. And the people that are there are miserable. They're not happy. They don't have the joy of the Lord. They have the opportunity to do right. They have a desire to do right. But they don't have the joy of doing right. And they want to pull every... Did you see what they did? They've come in... They've sneaked into the church so that they can bring us back into bondage. Because if I'm miserable in my Christian life, you have to be too. Someone has said that people don't come to church because they're afraid they'll end up looking like us. There's a lot of Christians in that ditch. They've gotten over into graceless law. But notice the next time Paul, or the third time Paul is going to mention liberty is in chapter 5 and verse 13. He warns about another danger on the other side, the other extreme, and that is the danger of a lawless grace. Verse 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Boy, don't we hear that today? Oh, I can do this. The rationalization for sin. Oh, I can do this because I've got Christian liberty. I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. And Paul says, don't use that liberty just because you are freed from the law. Oh, happy condition doesn't mean you get to go over to the other side. You go down a narrow road with ditches on both sides and you know some narrow country roads where you have to move over to let someone pass by. It doesn't matter whether you're in the right ditch or in the left ditch, you're still in a ditch. And so many Christians are called in one of these two dangers to our liberty, and it's either the, the graceless law or it's the lawless grace. Peter warns against this. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.16 that we are to be as free, not using our liberty as a cloak of maliciousness. In other words, don't use that liberty as an excuse for sin. He then talks in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19 about those who are, they promise liberty, but they are themselves slaves or servants to corruption, to sin. He says don't be like them. Don't, don't use that liberty in the wrong way. So what is the balance of this? What is this? Well, that's why he says don't get to the side Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. How do we avoid this? The problem with both of these dangers is that they are living according to the flesh. 
They're living according to the flesh. It doesn't matter which side you go to, you're living according to the flesh. And he says, don't do that. How do we avoid that? Well, let me show you what Paul tells us. Those are the dangers to liberty, but what he says about the duty of liberty. Look in chapter 5 and verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. Those people who had come in, they were telling the church of Galatia a false gospel. Paul says it's not a real gospel. They're saying that you have to, you trust in Jesus, but you keep the law. They've added works to grace. And he says it's not about being circumcised or not. It's not about keeping the law or not. But it's faith which worketh by love. I love that phrase because people will say, oh, well, it's, we're saved by faith, so I don't have to do anything. Or people will take works and add it to faith. It is a faith that works. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace are you saved through what? Say it with me. Faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It's faith that produces works. We are saved by faith alone. But faith that saves can never be alone. And it's faith that works by love. So he brings love into the picture because that is what motivates faith to do what is right. That's true liberty. Liberty is the wise use of our freedom under the constraint of the law. What is the law that should constrain and balance our Christian liberty and Christian freedom? It is the law of love. Paul will talk about this in verse 14. For all, I'm sorry, let me back up to verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law was fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Law is what causes us to obey, uh, love is what causes us to obey the law. And it's that law of love. He will elsewhere in the New Testament call it that royal law of love. What did Jesus say when he was asked about the great commandment? He said, the great commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if we obey those commandments, if we obey that law of love, God, t God takes thousands, hundreds and even thousands of commandments and principles from the Old Testament and he breaks them down and he brings them down to ten. And then when Jesus is asked, he takes those ten and they all fall under the category of those two. And that's the law that we are to obey. What is it that helps us keep our balance? It's love. Love for God and love for others. How do we do that? Can I love God as I should? Can I love those around me as I should? Not without help. Not without supernatural divine aid. Do I have that? Well, Paul's going to tell me that I do. Notice what he goes on to say, and in this we begin to see not just the duty of liberty, but the delight of liberty. The delight of liberty. The, the duty is I'm supposed to serve others. I'm supposed to love others, and that's where I find my balance. That's my equilibrium. Verse 16. This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, 
and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? We automatically think of just awful things, and he's going to name some awful things, but the lust of the flesh is doing what I want to do. I may, I may cover it with my lawless grace, or I may cover it with my graceless law, but it's living according to the flesh. He said, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Isn't it interesting that the way that we stand fast is by walking? That sounds like a, 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 a contradiction. It's a paradox. But the way that we find our balance to stay in liberty, we will not stand fast and live in the freedom for which we have been saved if we do not walk in the spirit. What does it look like? Well, he first is going to tell us what it doesn't look like. Do you see that? The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other so you cannot do the things that you would, the things you want to do. Ever experience that in your Christian life? Ever feel like you're stuck in Romans chapter 6 where Paul says, the things I know I should do, I don't do? That really confusing passage that you have to sort of think about as you read it. The, thing, the things I know I should do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. What does he say at the end of that? Who shall deliver me from this wretched man that I am? I thank God through Jesus Christ. There's deliverance from that. So Paul says the flesh and the spirit are fighting against each other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You know you should read your Bible, but you find yourself just not motivated. It's a whole lot easier to turn the TV on and watch an hour or two of TV than it is to sit down and pick up the Word of God and read for 10 minutes. I'm, I'm just being honest. That's our flesh. Our flesh just enjoys things that are not spiritual. Not necessarily wicked, but it's a lot easier to do that. How easy is it to have a conversation with a friend for 30 minutes on the phone? And how hard is it to spend 5 or 10 minutes on your knees in prayer? That's the flesh and the spirit fighting against each other. And it's... it's it's difficult. It's hard. The flesh is fighting so that you cannot do the, the things that we know we're supposed to do. We feel that conflict. But the great blessing is, is that Christianity is not about doing things that are contrary to our desires. It is about our desires being radically transformed. Notice what he says. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, we know he's not talking about you're no longer restrained by moral principles because he's already said don't use your, your freedom, your liberty as an excuse for the flesh. He's saying the law was put in place because man could not be holy and the only thing that could keep man holy was law. You know, we gripe about some laws. We generally are, you know, even law-abiding citizens, we'll still have some laws that we sort of chafe under. Perfect illustration. Most people that are law-abiding citizens will sit there and drive two miles over the speed limit. Now, I know none of y'all would ever do that. That 8 o'clock crowd probably would, but y'all wouldn't do that. And we sit there, and man, we'd go a whole lot faster if we could. We chafe under that law, or we find some other law that we don't like, and we, we sort of, we, we don't, we fight against it. But if you're led on the Spirit... You don't have to worry about it. If you're riding down the road and you're 5 or 10 miles over the speed limit, you can't enjoy the trip. Why? Because you're watching for that Kmart Blue Light Special to 
roll up in your back window. And boy, not speaking from experience, I don't think, but you know, it gives a sinking feeling in your stomach, doesn't it? You're constantly looking over your shoulder. You're worried about, but you know what? If you just set that cruise control on the speed limit, you can roll down the road and you can enjoy the trip. And so many of us are doing things and we're sneaking here and we're doing that and we're doing those things and we're under the pressure of the law not because we haven't been freed from it but we're living as if we're not and we're constantly worried about when you just let the Spirit work when the Holy Spirit takes the wheel you can live in peace you can live in joy and you're not under the law look at the works of the flesh he says the works of the flesh I want you to contrast the works of the flesh with what we're going to see in a moment, the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. It's almost as if he's reading headlines from today. As I have told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the works of the flesh. That's what our flesh tends to do. And he, in, he lists some very wicked things. We think of adultery and fornication and witchcraft. He throws wrath and strife right in there with it. Why? Because that's the works of the flesh. That's what we do when we're not standing in liberty, when we're not walking in the Spirit. Do you remember the verse of Scripture that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What does the Spirit do? Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is what's the first word. Say it with me, love. And what did he say is the one thing that's going to keep us standing fast in the liberty where Christ has made us free? It's love. But you and I will not love God as we should. You and I will not love our neighbor as we should unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God to enable us to walk and live in the Spirit and enable us to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when that takes place, we're living in the freedom. We are living free in the freedom that God has saved us for. So how do we, how do we experience this? Well, this brings us to the delight of liberty. You see, there's four things that we experience around doing what's right. Number one is the opportunity to do what's right. Every person, every believer has that. You have the opportunity to do what's right. But not just the opportunity to do what's right, the ability to do what is right, the desire to do what is right, and then the joy of doing what is right. And the two extremes... None, neither one of these has all four, but in the Spirit, we have all four. We have the opportunity to do what is right. We have the ability to do what is right. We have the desire to do what is right, and then we get to experience the joy of doing what is right. There's an old preacher that said one time that in the Christian life, we've got to get from the got-tos to the get-tos. A lot of people come to church because they got to. A lot of people give because they got to. A lot of people do what's right because they got to. When we begin to understand that it's not the got-tos, it's the get-tos, we'll experience the joy of liberty. 
It's not we got to go to church. It's we get to go to church. It's not, oh, I've got to worship God. I get to worship God. It's not, I've got to give. It's, I get to give of my time and my money and myself. It's not, oh God, I've got to go help my neighbor. It's, I get to. It's not, I've got to share the gospel. It's, I get to share the gospel. It's not, I've got to serve. It's, I get to serve. When that takes place, that radical transformation of our desires so that instead of acting contrary to what we desire, our desires have been changed. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. How do I get, how am I filled with the Spirit? Let me just close with this. Very simply, I used to wonder about this. I prayed about it and studied about it. I heard my whole life growing up. Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. A man is Baptist, we had that one down good, but then be filled with the Spirit. We didn't do so hot on. So how, do, how am I filled? It's really simple. I used to pray and ask for the filling of the Spirit, and I was expecting some kind of remarkable experience. And I am thankful that there are times when the Holy Spirit works in our life and we have remarkable experiences where we praise the Lord and we are moved and we feel it. But I'd pray and I'd say, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And I didn't really feel anything. I didn't feel filled. I didn't feel the tingle up my spine. I'd say, Lord, I'm getting ready to preach. I need you to fill me with the Spirit. And I'd get up and I just didn't feel like... I don't really feel like the Holy Spirit was anywhere near that. God took me to the verse of Scripture where Jesus said, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Now, I know the Holy Spirit dwells in me because I'm saved, but I'm talking about the filling of the Spirit. It's as simple as asking, Father, fill me with your Spirit. And he doesn't say, be filled with the Spirit if you understand everything about it. Because there's still, after all these years, there's much I don't understand about the filling of the Spirit. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But as you are filled, you will begin to understand more. So don't wait till you think you know what it's all about. Just simply pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. That's not something that happens one time. It's not something that happens once a day. It's something that you pray many times through the day. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Because you and I both will grieve and quench the Spirit in our life. And we need to pray, Lord, fill me. And you know what I have found is that when I grieve and quench the Spirit, very often the Lord is using that to point out to me what's keeping me from being filled. We can strive hard. D.L. Moody used the illustration of a glass. An empty water glass. And he said, how can I get the air out of this glass? And... One man said, well, you could, you could put a suction on it that would draw the air out. And Moody said, well, the problem with that is, is that it will create a vacuum and that glass will crack. They thought about it. No one could answer. And so Moody picked up a pitcher of water and he filled the glass with water. He said, that's how you get the air out of the glass. And let me tell you that you and I can try our hardest to get all the sins out of our lives and we will ultimately fail. But the way to have victory, the way to experience liberty is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And when I come to my Father, 
And I say, Father, will you fill me? Whether I feel it or not, what will my Father do? He will do what he promised to do. And I have never in my life regretted one word that I have spoken or one thing that I have done under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But I have frequently and often regretted things I have said and done in this flesh. You will never, ever regret praying that prayer. How long has it been since you've prayed it? How long has it been since you have honestly knelt before God or prayed in your heart and said, God, please, at this moment, fill me with your spirit? How many days go by without us asking for that? How many days does it go by that we try to live in the strength of this flesh when the Holy Spirit is there to bring us into liberty? Stand fast. Stand fast in the freedom. Live free in the freedom that God has given to you and saved you for. Will you bow with me for prayer this morning? This morning, there may be someone here that has not yet experienced this liberty that Christ offers. You are called to liberty. Maybe in your life, you're still trying to earn God's, God's love. You're trying to earn salvation. And I want you to know that there is never enough that you can do to earn God's love. There is never enough that you can do to earn salvation. And the liberty that we get to experience is the liberty from trying to do that. And it's resting in what Jesus has done. Maybe this morning, whether you come to the altar during the invitation or whether you pray right where you are, you need to tell God, God, I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. But today, I'm trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for my salvation. I'm trusting him as my Savior. I'm sorry for my sin, and I want him to be my Lord and Savior. If you pray that prayer and mean it from your heart, then God calls you into liberty, into this freedom, this joyous Christian life. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, are you in one of these extremes? Are you, have you fallen into one of these dangers? The danger of a lawless grace that says, I can do whatever I want to do. I can do what I please. Or the graceless law that says, I've got to earn God's delight. Oh, I know I've trusted Him for my, save, my salvation. But in my Christian life, I've just got to do more. Maybe if I took another task, maybe if I served more, maybe if I gave more, maybe if I spent another hour in prayer, maybe if I read the Scriptures more, if I do more, I will be more. And you need to come stand fast in the liberty. Maybe it's been a while since you just knelt in prayer and said, God, please fill me with your Spirit. Help me to walk in your Spirit. Help me to bear the fruit of the Spirit. So maybe this morning you need to just say, Lord, I'm going to recommit to every day, every moment, asking you.